Claire. And I'm Ashley. Wait, wait, wait. Let's start again. (laughs) Okay. I'm Claire Parker. (laughs) And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this this is Celebrity Memoir Club. Why are you saying it so slow? Is there a lag? (laughs) I was watching you and trying to keep pace. I just feel like we've we've said it now 100 times. (laughs) The pace should be pretty intuitive. (laughs) I felt like you were taking a weird turn with your pace. And I I was like, oh, she's doing a bit. I'll harmonize. You didn't harmonize like we did it. What is like? How do you do row, row, row your boat? Like we said it in the round. <laughs> yeah. You guys, we're coming at you via Zoom, just mano a mano. There's no guest, but I am currently in self isolation. Claire isolated herself from society like the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> Twenty bucks if you can find me. <laughs> If this is our old podcast insert here where I would just say my address, but I will say now that we have somewhat of a listenership, I have learned that I should not just be saying my exact address into a microphone and putting it on the internet. Um, I agree. Speaking of listenership, I honestly, I did see the reviews this week. I think we'll read the names next week, but I want to say one one person asked us our feelings on Free Britney. We are going to be watching the Britney documentary and doing a Patreon episode about it. So subscribe there, Sailor. Ashley. Yes. How was your week? I would say the title of my memoir this week is called On Hiatus. And that is because I have decided to put my dating apps on hiatus. And my reasoning for it is... Obviously, I don't need a reason, but I feel like I've been talking to too many people that have annoyed the absolute living fuck out of me. And I think when I get too annoyed with too many people, then I start like kind of lashing out and like having unrealistic expectations, like reading things the wrong way from people who aren't even being shitty. And I like get very in my head and like unhealthy about like how everyone is just like a wretched piece of shit. And so then in order to like be not mean to people for no reason. I need to be like off of them for a minute. I need to like palate cleanse, you know? Mm-hmm. That's good. So on hiatus. Yes, on hiatus. And I want to talk about the fucking ridiculous behavior that I've been experiencing. And it's something that I didn't quite realize as a pattern. And now that I've seen it, I simply can't unsee it. What is the pattern? Tell us. The pattern is, for those of you who recall, I um, had an apartment date with someone not too long ago. I talked about it in depth on the Patreon, a guy who came over and tried to take his dick out. Um, <laughs> so I'm like very uncomfortable with um, apartment dates, but with the current state of snow and whatever, like after that guy, I had vowed to not do any more first dates at apartments. And with him and with the guys I talked to this week, because there was a snowstorm in New York, there's really, there's literally just nowhere to go. It's too cold outside to do like a walking date. It's just too much. Um, So I had entertained the idea of apartment dates again. And before I ever agree to one, I have sort of like a disclaimer and I try to be cute with it. Like I'm trying not to be like a buzzkill, but I do say like, hey, listen, this is like not a sex appointment. It's a first date, like just so the expectations are clear, because I do think that if they want to just meet up for anonymous sex, like that is all fair, like an okay thing to want. It's just not what I want. Like it, I, I don't know. I feel like when you say date, guys think that you're like trying to make a relationship and it's like... I'm not trying to like make you be my boyfriend, but I do want to be like treated with respect and I'm not trying to have like an anonymous sex appointment. There's like a difference between casual sex and anonymous sex. And I'm just like not interested in like a rando coming over. Okay. Oh. I just think like it's so annoying because they all open with like, well, what are you looking for? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, bitch, who, what kind of person are you? Like, I think like it's like saying to somebody, like, how much are you willing to spend on this dress? And you're like, well, I haven't seen it yet. So I don't know. Do I like it? Like, exactly. is it wearable? Is it? It's like... <laughs> I'm, I know I'm not looking for like a random one night stand that I meet on the internet. Like, Mm -hmm. I just don't want that. I would, I am down for like a casual dating, casual, whatever situation. Like if I, if it's just like fun, we like hanging out, but it's not going to be a thing. It's not going to be a thing. I don't care. Like, I'm not like, you must be my boyfriend or you must never speak to me again. Like, that's not, that's insane. Um, but anyway, so I do give them that opportunity with like a little disclaimer to be like, Hey, listen, if all you're looking for is to like meet up for like a one night stand and then dip. Like, I just don't like the ease of we're already at my apartment. Like they haven't brought anything. They haven't done anything. Like there's no date. And then we're just going to hook up. Like we're not, you know, and Mm -hmm. it makes me feel too hookery. And I've just really identified that with myself that I don't like feeling hookery, (laughs) which it's fine to be a hooker. I wish they would legalize it or decriminalize it, whatever the fuck. Um, I haven't heard the word hooker in quite some time. (laughs) (laughs) 
anyway, okay, so here's the thing. So I give them that opportunity for the out. Like, if you are just looking for, like, an anonymous hookup, fine. Go find that elsewhere. It's not going to be me. Here's the thing that they do now that pisses me the literal fuck off, and I've experienced it several times now when kind of trying to, like, casually tell guys that I'm not going to have sex with them immediately is they try to turn it back on me using, like, female sexual liberation to be like, you think that I'm going to judge you, so you're going to deny yourself pleasure. And it's just like, you absolute ass hat. You've got an ass on your hat. You look ridiculous right now. Like, you, what do you think <laughs> that you're going to bring to the table here? Like, you think I need you to experience pleasure? Go fuck yourself. You're a stranger. I don't know you. Like, you bring nothing to the table. You, like, I'm not afraid you're going to judge me. I don't know you. I don't care what you think. I'm afraid that I'm going to feel bad about myself the next day because you're a piece of shit. And I hooked up with a piece of shit and that makes me feel bad about myself and now I'm learning that that is exactly what would have happened and so I'm glad I put it out there that that's not what I wanted but like trying to turn it back on its head to be like hey listen like you're only hurting yourself if you don't fuck me right now it's like what go fuck yourself please just like I'll fuck myself everyone will be (laughs) stay warm and at home and COVID free (laughs) I just like really felt like violently ill at the sentiment that has like I've had several guys hit me with like a similar sentiment in the last couple months. And it like didn't really occur to me as like a pattern until now where I'm like, oh my God, all these guys think that they're like really onto something by like manipulating women into being like, oh my God, if I don't have sex with him, I am the one missing out. Like I'm not. Or even being like, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm like not a feminist. I don't believe in myself. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I'm afraid of his judgment and that's why I'm not letting myself have sex with him. Like, ugh, How get out lucky. of here, you loser. <laughs> How lucky that I met such an open-minded gentleman. Oh, <laughs> thank goodness he won't judge me if I just get down and suck his balls. What a what a sweet, <laughs> sweet, sweetheart. <laughs> um, sorry if my mom's listening. <laughs> I know she is, and I know that this was probably painful. <laughs> it's not your fault that just like these are the way people talk. Like their mothers should be embarrassed that they raised people who are like manipulative pieces of shit. It's just like is a wild thing to think that like this is how they've decided to go about it because it's also like I am a dumb slut and like if you had just like <laughs> bought me dinner and like been nice then like I probably would have banged you. <laughs> That's so funny because what my I'm like frustrated right now on TikTok because I see a lot of like 21 year old girls turning to celibacy because they're they've decided that like sexual freedom was actually the worst thing that's ever happened to women. They're so myopic. Okay, so I've been seeing a lot of this sentiment on Twitter, both Twitter and TikTok, I guess. And here's an example. I'm just gonna read the opening argument from what looks to be like a girl in college. She says, liberal feminism tells us that sex is what will save us, that owning our own sexual empowerment and accepting our position in the patriarchy will be what liberates us. Perhaps one day sex will be good again. Perhaps one day we can find empowerment in the practice of sex. And then I can't remember exactly verbatim what she says, but it goes on to be like, as long as men like sex and we're just doing what they like and we can never take ownership of our own bodies because they own our own bodies. Um, First of all, it's so preposterous the idea. Liberal feminism tells us that sex is what will save us. No, it's not. Find me the feminist that's like, you know what will save us? Having more sex. That is something that got distilled through Tumblr and girls who are like 24 and trying to figure themselves out and trying to like have like this bravado. This isn't coming from any actual school of thought. This is like a misunderstanding of your older sister's conversation when they're all having a sleepover and nobody wants to seem like the prude. This isn't true. I feel like what happened was that all these people started making jokes about getting like choked and having rough sex and being like called a slut or whatever. And then that became so popular and hacked that it became the prevailing thought. And people who were like 16, 17 started being like, oh, if I want to be like feminist and liberated, I need to like sex. And the sex that people like is this. And it might not be what you like. And I just feel like all these 21 year olds, it's not that having the freedom to have sex as a woman is the problem. The problem is that when you're 21, I don't care if you're a man, a woman, a child, like when you're 21, you don't know your body have the sex you want to have, don't have the sex you don't want to have. You probably don't know which is which. Like, I do feel like at that age, you're so insecure. You're so desperate for like acceptance that it's hard for you to truly parse in your mind who you're having sex with because you want to and you like them and who you're not having sex with. You don't know yourself. And so I feel like for them to be making these overriding statements, I'm like, you're talking about 45 year old divorced moms. I mean, are you talking about like, who are you talking about? You're talking about you and your friends because being 21 is hard, whether you're at BYU and you have to be a virgin or you're at NYU and you feel like you have to be a slut. It's hard to be 21 no matter 
what you're doing sexually. And the idea that feminism failed us because it told us that we shouldn't be slut shamed or should we be allowed to have the sex we want to have is the mistake. It really like loses historical context. Like they seem to have no idea how bad it was for women like in 1950s when like you were ruined if you lost your virginity. I mean, it's just like so preposterous that they're like turning on people who fought for them. I saw one girl be like an example of the violence against women is like birth control. Some of it really hurt women. I'm like, yeah, the medical community has a horrible history of sexism and racism, but birth control has not hurt women. Like being forced to have all of the children that you were like bestowed, having to get back alley abortions, like having no control over your own reproductive organs, that hurt women. I wish these girls could like read a book and then take a step back. And I mean, the sentence, perhaps one day sex will be good again. When are you talking? When was it good? Name the period in, in time when women had more sexual freedom. And then, and then let me know, like, you think nobody on earth is having good sex right now? You don't think there's one woman who truly walks away from a sexual encounter being happy? I literally said this to Mac. I was like, I'm sorry, Mac. I hope that one day I can have good sex again. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, well, maybe if you make it really bad for me, then you could like it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But unfortunately, it turns out I've never once enjoyed it. So that's too bad to hear. Yeah, and I do. I feel like it does like fit in with my thing with these guys is like they – think that they're owed this thing and like girls don't know how to say no and they think that they're being like they are they are dumb enough to be manipulated and to think that they're not being feminist if they say no because they're like denying their own pleasure or whatever and it's like no like liberation is figuring out what you like and like going after it and doing that like that if you don't like the popular ideas of what you think you're being told by like some media or some gif or some like e-girl online yeah you like like that's that's still you looking to other people to tell you what you like. It's hard to get in tune with your body. I mean, it takes years to know what a good haircut is. The idea that you're going to figure out by high school or college what you like sexually, that's the problem. It's just hard to know your own body. I didn't get a keratin treatment for my hair until I was 29 years old, and it changed my entire fucking life, okay? That's 29 years of not understanding the potential that my hair had. So I just am tired of these girls who are just like, everybody that came before us did bad by women. And I'm like... You guys are fucking idiot assholes. (laughs) I mean, when Daphne, when my friend Daphne was a journalist in Utah, where they're really conservative, there was somebody in the state Senate there who truly thought that it was impossible to rape your wife. Like a law came up about like wife rape. And he was like, how could you rape your wife? She's married to you. And he truly did not think that that should be possible, that a woman could come forth and say, my husband raped me. So that's like what, that's the, that's what you think it's so bad that we're overcoming. The (sighs) idea that a woman would have enough control of her body that she could say, even though I guess you think you bought me as property in this marriage, I still get to say no sometimes. (laughs) So I don't know. That's what, like I maintain autonomy in this (sighs) contract. (laughs) Watch Felicity. It has nothing to do with like sexual empowerment. It's just, it's always been hard to be 20 and 21 and dating, it's always been hard to figure out what you like about your it's own body. It's always been hard to be dating in general. Like, it's always it's always going to be hard. Like, it's... I don't and think... Talk to gay men. I feel like talk to a 20-year-old gay man and ask how easy it is to sexually explore your life. And if they have a hugely different... Ex- like, I mean, obviously, I do think, like, there is a different experience here. But I, if every single 18-year-old gay man is like, sex is perfect. I have exactly the kind of sex I want with exactly who I want. And I never have a regret. Then I'll bow out. And I'll say, you're right. Women are having too hard a time with this. But if in the male gay community, not one person has ever struggled to find their sexual honesty, then, <laughs> then you're right. Anyway, the kids these days. What, what I'll say to you guys real quick. Um, shut the fuck up. It's very like, well, if me and my 20-year-old friends all experienced it, then it must be the universal truth. And I'm like, it's so funny because a lot of them are like looking, like it's a lot of like 19-year-olds looking to 24-year-olds who are looking to 24 and a half-year-olds for information. Who are then listening to call her daddy and being (laughs) like, call her no. That's the thing is like call her daddy feminism where it's like the number one way to be a feminist is to like fuck like crazy and not get anybody's number. And it's just like, yeah, no, that's like, makes a lot like maybe for some people these like situations that I'm feeling very uncomfortable with are their bread and butter and that's totally chill like it's about finding out what your thing is oh my god (laughs) should we get into this week's book 
Yes, you guys, this is a part one for a book that we read by a Bachelor contestant named Courtney Robertson and her co-writer, Dibs Bear. And can I tell you what's coming on the second half of this episode airing next week? An interview with Courtney and Dibs themselves in the flesh via Zoom, but flesh Zoom. (laughs) Ew, flesh Zoom. I don't like that at all. Um, Let's strike that from the records. Of your brains. You guys, Courtney Robertson won the season, uh, fuck, what was his name? Flannick? Ben Flagnerge. Ben Flannick, but it's spelled with a J. You know how this year they really broke the mold and had a black bachelor? Well, this year they had really broken the mold and had an ugly bachelor. <laughs> it was. Can I say through, so Claire and I not only read this book in preparation for our chat with Courtney and Dibs, we also binge watched the entire season just so we'd have a good background as to what we were reading about. And throughout the series, which like for us was over the course of like three days, his hair just gets like flatter and dumber looking in the most shocking way. Like you see the opening episode and you're like, maybe he's hot, maybe he's not. And by the end, you're just like, what the fuck happened on his head for the love of God? He looks like Francine from Arthur, the cartoon. And he also looks like every character in The Land Before Time. He looks so much like like a cartoon dinosaur. Married Ducky. (laughs) (laughs) And they had a kid, and then Spike and. He is so bizarre looking in the like they really took a risk and they were like, we're gonna go with an intellectual winemaker. His whole thing is that he had a vineyard that of course he said he owned and then Courtney outs him in the book really he had like a workspace kind of in the way that we work so you can like rent a moving desk he rented a moving plot of grapes and it was all bullshit yeah it was all bullshit he had really just like kind of heard of grapes so before Courtney (laughs) went on she had watched the season um before where Ben had proposed to Ashley something or other Herbert. Herbert. And she like thought he was really cool and cute. And one of her friends foreshadowing said he seems like a bit of a snob. And let me tell you, when we come through this episode, you will find that friend to be a wise one. So we're excited. This is such an important episode, I would say, because we're really going to take you through. We're going to come through the book for you. Courtney does such an amazing job of giving us so much behind the scenes gossip. She lived as a model in LA. So she had a very kind of like glamorous star studded life pre the bachelor. She is not shy about naming names. We're going to give you all the best gossip, all the rundowns. I mean, I have to say we watched the season and it was sad because it really was a heyday for the bachelor. Back in the day, the bachelor used to be 10 episodes total and they were each an hour and a half. There was no run up, run down. The girls were just like normal girls. They weren't all there trying to be influencers. It used to be a really good show. And it, it made me sad for us, the viewers, the way that they take advantage these days. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, The Bachelor really has become influencer grad school. Like you do three years of college and then you like go pro and submit to the draft to see if you can get on The Bachelor. <laughs> and if you can't get on The Bachelor, you try to get on like Are You the One or Married at First Sight or something. I do feel like those random Netflix dating shows like Love is Blind and whatever are like The Bachelor, but like playing in Europe. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. yes, <laughs> you don't get in into Europe. the NBA. You like go play in Europe. I just want to say off the bat, this is, I never know the phrase, no holds barred. Um, yeah, I guess not a single hold is barred and or no she, bars are held. I don't no no bars held. She's very funny. The intro, she really opens up by giving us exactly what we want to know. She opens with the proposal day and she like really gives us a little peek at what that day is going to be like before she backs it up and takes us to her childhood in chapter one. Give us a little spice from the intro. I think you have one of my favorite lines here. Yeah, I, I included this because Ashley loved this. So she says, on his proposal day, former bachelor Jason Mesnick felt an irresistible urge to run to his balcony and wail like an old Italian woman at a funeral. When I watched it on TV, I thought he looked ridiculous. But now as I sat in his place, I understood why he was moved to man tears. (laughs) And I would also like to point out that she mentions twice, two or three times in this intro that Jason Mesnick cried a lot during his season. I don't even know who Jason Mesnick is, but now I know he's a bitch. So... (laughs) So then we we move into her childhood. She talks a lot about how her mother was like very anti-men. Her mother was also a beautiful person. And she says, for my mom, the bottom line with men was simple. With the exception of my father, men were disgusting to be avoided at all costs. And I will say her dad does seem like a gem. 
Yeah, he seems like a great guy. He's really there for her. I mean, she takes us through her childhood. She's very honest and fun. She's really open about her sexuality. And something that I thought was so funny was she talks about, like, her sexual awakening coming out to Dawson's Creek, like, the first time she masturbates. And she talks about having a VHS tape. This is such a throwback for people who are listening. I don't even think some people listening have ever even seen a VHS tape. Yeah, I do believe that. Uh, she would like record all of the steamous Baywatch makeout scenes. And that was like her spank bank with a little VHS <laughs> tape of TV scenes. She's gorgeous. She she was awkward as a kid, I guess. She, she honestly says that she had always gravitated more to men than women. She's always had more guy friends. She works at Abercrombie in high school at the bequest of a man. That same man suggests that she auditioned for their model search contest, which they wanted employees to do. She gets it, which is huge. She goes out to Aruba. She shoots, uh, like she makes $2,500 per day to be the face of Abercrombie. For, then this is gets, her senior year of high school too. So she's like, this is yeah. her spring break of high school. So she's really, um, she like really finds this like interesting side door into modeling that like, you know, really lifts her through her 20s. Yeah. I mean, I think she had a scramble to get a passport. So yeah. The idea that her first modeling shoot would be like a headlining gig with Abercrombie is huge. And then from there, she gets to go to Rome. She shoots with Bruce Weber. I think this is very interesting because she tells the story about here she fucked up by saying she wouldn't get naked mm-hmm. with Bruce Weber. And then she's like sent home early. And you'll see later, it comes out, it's a big deal that she gets naked on the show. She goes skinny and dipping with Ben. She has no problem. At one point, they're in like Guatemala or something and she wears kind of a nipple-bearing top that's a traditional top and people are so upset and they find it so risque. And I do think it makes sense that she's coming from this model background where, you know, I mean, she had she had no problem getting naked because that's part of her job. Yeah. I Whenever I've worked with models before, it honestly is very inspiring how they... I mean, they also have like just the hottest bodies ever like by profession you are looked at like an object but you also like a beautiful object an object with a lot of value (laughs) whenever I've worked with models they all will just like fully have a conversation with you tits to the wind I've gotten comfortable with it because like I don't want to make them uncomfortable I don't want to be the one making the uncomfort do you know what I mean yes and so but like just watching them be like oh yeah like I'm a model and I'm changing you handed me an outfit change I'm just gonna like whip my top off in front of you and you're just like okay that just is what it is. Like, bodies are bodies, I guess. And she, like, really carries that with her. And other women strongly dislike it. (laughs) And you'll hear next week that she got death threats for it, Mm -hmm. for skinny dipping. It's insane how mad people get. Get off the TV. Because people hate what they can't do. And I think, like, women have such horrible relationships with their bodies. Like, I hate my stupid hot dog body. And, like, seeing other people be comfortable in their bodies is, like, legitimately threatening to some women. Well, it's also funny because then when you talk about the death, I mean, that's why the women on the show didn't like her. But when you talk about the death threats from viewers, that's coming from this sexual empowerment that the girls on TikTok claim women don't need. But like people wanted her dead because they thought it was such a slutty thing to do that she deserved to be killed. And so when these girls on TikTok are like, I met a man in a bar and I let him like punch me in the face because I thought it'd make me come and then I didn't like it and it's feminist fault. It's like, no, what feminists are saying is that if a girl wants to skinny with her boyfriend, somebody shouldn't then threaten murder. (laughs) That women are allowed to want to do that. Amen, sister. Anyway, I just want to call out, so we're just kind of getting you up up to speed with The Bachelor when she gets on the show. I do want to call out one very fun name drop story from her modeling day. She ends up modeling all over the world. She moves to LA. She has some incredible jobs, but I love this one. She says she did an ad for Jessica Simpson's hair extensions right after she and first husband, Nick Lachey split. Jessica was very sweet, but very sad. She spent most of the day holed up in her candlelit dressing room, drinking carrot juice and blasting Sinead O'Connor's nothing compares to you. Wow. That is a divorced 24 year old woman. If I've ever heard one carrot juice, what the fuck? So (laughs) fucking funny carrot juice and Sinead O'Connor. I mean, mean, carrot juice by candlelight. I can't think of anything less (laughs) romantic. Like (laughs) that is so like, that is such a picture that I can picture. It's just so (laughs) pathetic because there she is trying to wallow in her sadness, but she has to like stay on caloric, (laughs) on caloric speed. Like you can't, God forbid the bitch has a hot chocolate or a smoothie or something. Carrot juice. That's repulsive to me. Oh my God. I drank celery juice every day for a month. (laughs) God, I've had carrot juice before because I bought it one time thinking it would. Okay. I like don't know. Make your eyes really good. No, I don't even know if I can talk about this. 
It's so embarrassing. Ashley, what did you think it would do? <laughs> okay, so I saw a thing about how eating too much carrots makes you orange. And <laughs> I am so pale that I was like, I don't know, if I got like a little oranger, wouldn't that be a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to be full orange. Actually, when you said that this was going to be embarrassing, I thought you were going to be like, I thought it would make my vagina taste good. Or something. Like, you thought it would, you thought one whole foods. No, I thought if I ate a lot of carrots and then also drank carrots, sometimes I would look tanner. <laughs> I thought I was like healthy self tanning. <laughs> you're not just beautiful beautiful, from the inside you're tan from the inside yeah you are what you eat this like psycho cross-section of my eating disorder and my own insecurities about like every other thing (laughs) (laughs) wait but some did it taste good no (laughs) (laughs) wow that was more embarrassing than I could have ever thought you know what Thank you so much for being vulnerable with us today on the podcast. (laughs) You guys are welcome. And I'll tell you what, if you're going to try this at home, don't. It really doesn't work. And then you just eat a lot of carrots, which I guess is good for you. Like, honestly, there isn't necessarily a downside, but the downside is um, shame. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Having to know for the rest of your life that you did that one time. It's okay. Should I like go tit for tat and vulnerability? (laughs) Please. I need you to. This is our like Scientology audit. Yeah. So something upsetting that's been happening since the, since lockdown is um, obviously I can't like do basic hygienic upkeep the way I used to. And so I, my whole life have had a real insecurity about my mustache. (laughs) (laughs) And on the one hand, it is like very faint. Like I do know that it's not bad. Like I have a little bit of peach fuzz on top lift, but on the other hand, the first time I ever got it waxed was in college and I was away from home and then my grandpa died and I went to the funeral and I hadn't seen my brother in like four months. And the very first thing he said to me at my grandfather's funeral was, oh, you finally took care of that mustache. So <laughs> like, then on the other hand, I'm like, it is noticeable to the people who care. <laughs> so anyway, I have not been able to wax it as much during the pandemic and Mac has started to like play with it. <laughs> like sometimes he will just... Like you're a chef? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell too that he he only does it when he doesn't like know what he's doing and then he realizes and he he has to like decide does he pretend that he wasn't or does he admit it and play it off like that's like a cute normal thing to do but once we were laying in bed and you know like that that early morning sun that first morning sun when you can see just every flaw in somebody's face <laughs> he yeah. just like leaned over one time and kind of petted it and I was just like <laughs> I really took stock and I said, Claire, you're in such a good place mentally that you don't hit him because that really is the kind of thing where if like two years ago, someone had done that to me, I would have had to hit them because I would have felt so insecure and bad about myself that I would have wanted everybody in the situation dead. And now I can just be like, yeah, you know what? It's a fucking pandemic. What's he going to do? Move out? He can't. Pet away, bitch. <laughs> and then another and time. I think it's nice that you guys have a relationship where he likes your mustache. <laughs> and that's what he's like, I like it. It's cute. But then one time he had to shave his face for work because he had like a Zoom call and he came back in. He's like, now you're the only one. And then he stopped himself. And I was like, were you going to say no? I'm the only one with facial <laughs> That is a vulnerable. Thank you, Claire, for your Very sharing. <laughs> so anyway, I am getting it waxed this week because enough is enough. I mean, I will have to see another person, but there you go. So there's my. <laughs> that is funny. Funny stuff. That's, that's where I'm at. Anyway, back to Courtney. She's back in to LA. She, she, she. I don't want to go too much into it, but basically between she meets a guy senior year of college of high school and then kind of on and off dates him for the next six or seven years. His and name. she really, really likes him. I I understand that. There's like that first real comfort. And then you just like are in this on again, off again thing where like you just kind of can't stop. I guess I that will spiral. say though, she went straight from high school to modeling in LA. And I think if anybody is teetering on the decision of whether or not to go to college, the number one reason to go to college is to end things with your high school boyfriend. <laughs> Because I do think that you have this person, you feel so comfortable and close with them. And you're like, I don't know if we should break up for college. And then you go to college and you have like 1000 hot guys trying to hook up with you. And you're like, whoop, bye. But then the problem is she moved to LA and LA is such a big, scary city that you can ease them into your new life because you're like, well, I don't have new friends yet. And then you kind of keep the 
the flame open. So she's on and off with this guy for six and years. And dating in LA is just such an overall train wreck. That if you have someone to kind of like fall back on that you're going to want to. Yeah. Yeah. And so in this time though, she's a couple of fun celebrity run-ins. She talks about getting out of the car. Her boyfriend's in the car. She pulls over to an ATM. Uh, and then a black Escalade drives by, slams on the brakes, backs up. A guy jumps out and start, and runs over, screams, do you have a number? Do you have a boyfriend? She's like, yeah, I do have a boyfriend. He's in the car. And then the guy's like, damn, she's giving me your number. And she goes, no, but maybe we'll run into each other again. And he's like, doubt it. The guy, Jesse Metcalf. Can I say as a desperate housewives head and like not a desperate housewives head in a way where it's like, oh, yeah, I watch desperate housewives like I used to watch desperate housewives with the moms and daughters of my neighborhood every Sunday night at one of our house. Like we had a rotating house every week and we would all hang out and watch desperate housewives every Sunday night, moms and daughters. So to have the gardener running, jumping out of his Escalade to get your number, like, would have shaken me to my bones. Well, that's why she dates him is because her mom was so obsessed with Jesse Metcalf. Yeah. Before she even knew that he had hit on her, she calls him, like, the most beautiful man in the world. And part of why they stayed together, I think, so long on and off is because her mom was like, don't do it! He's so handsome! I know. (laughs) He's addicted to drugs and cheating on you. That's the thing is, he was such a definitive train wreck, but I do think also... First of all, to have someone that handsome into you like that would be cool. I, like, can't Mm -hmm. deny that. I agree. agree. (laughs) And then also for her mom, who is, like, notoriously this, like, kill all men, like, nobody wants you for anything but your body, give them hell, to be like, but this one's nice. (laughs) Like, even though he is just, like, mainlining drugs and cheating and being horrible, like, she would go out of town on a modeling job for, like, 36 hours and he would she would find underwear in his bed like <sighs> it was a thing where like clearly everything was a red flag the whole entire time um but to have your mom be like but we like him I'd be like I guess we do <laughs> I've done that too where like my friends will think a guy is hot who thinks I'm hot and I'm like well I gotta do it for the homie like, <laughs> <laughs> when other people are into the person you're into like it I feel like it ups their appeal so yeah. interestingly enough she blows him off at the ATM her and Chris are on a break and this I found so interesting she decides to go out on Oscar night which is the biggest party night in LA and so she gets rounded up by a a promoter who's getting all the models together and they have to go in a blacked out limo so they can't see out the windows because they're going to like a secret house that's been turned into a hot uh, party house in the Hollywood Hills and they like can't know the location so that she gets is out of the cool <laughs> that is really cool it's scary very a little taken a little taken scary so she goes to this party she sees Leonardo DiCaprio she sees Vince Vaughn and who else does she see Adrian Grenier <laughs> he comes out he hits on her so they kind of have a romance on and off for six years he like takes her out to sushi for their first date and then tries to get a massage and she like turns them down so I'm like good for you but she says he has a huge peen good to know and then that night, who does she see? But Jesse Metcalf, who does remember her, he's like, do you still have a boyfriend? She's like, no. And then that's when their whole romance begins. I want to say, she does say about Jesse Metcalf, um, the sex was pretty average. She needed a lot of reassurance. Interesting. I think I would find that um, deeply unattractive. So I do think that these stories actually set a pretty clear picture about why she gets into The Bachelor. And something that I got from the book, something that I got from the season, and something that I got from meeting Courtney herself was that, like, look, she's really stunningly gorgeous. And I remember from my own experience watching the season, I went down, I had never seen The Bachelor before. I went down to a friend who was watching and she's like, oh my God, you have to watch the season. There's this like bitch Courtney, but I'm obs- I love her because she's so beautiful. And it really was like, they had never had a model before. Me and Ashley watched a lot of like older bachelor moments. And it's like up until now, it literally just was an accountant in your town. Like there were cute people that you would meet like, at a bar. The like, prettiest teacher at elementary school. Like, the prettiest but, Yeah, but, like, in small towns, like, in uh, Cleveland. Do you know like what I mean? Like, not someone that you would say, like, someone where you would say, like, oh, she is the prettiest kindergarten teacher. She, like, reminds me of, like, a Miss Honey vibe or whatever. But she, she's not pretty enough to, like, move to L.A. and become a model. Yeah. She <laughs> is very much, like, an eligible bachelor in Cleveland. An eligible yeah. bachelor in Wichita, an eligible bachelor in 
Minneapolis. You know what yeah. I mean? So someone very who, they like could find a boyfriend in their hometown, but they want to be whisked away to like a cooler, more exciting place. And so when she went on, it did like make a big deal. And she was framed as the villain. And I think for the villain to win was groundbreaking. And I don't think it's been replicated since. Mm-mm. Oh, but all this was to say, she truly was there because she liked Ben. Her family was a huge Bachelor family. They'd watched it. Courtney thought Ben was cute. She was sick of dating on the, in LA. And the thing is, if she wanted to become famous, she could have used Jesse Metcalf to kind of springboard herself into fame. She could have used, she also dated like uh, Reese Witherspoon's current husband. She dated Zoe Deschanel's former, like she dated a lot of people. She was a beautiful woman in LA. If she was really just using a man for fame, she wouldn't have gone on The Bachelor. She like went on because I think she was at a point in her life where she wanted to be married and dating in LA is so hard. So she's like, well, here's a shortcut. Yeah. I think she was like, this guy seems like my type and I think we'd get along well. And I think I could be like engaged to be married in five minutes time if I just like do this process right quick. And so she did. Yeah. And she was right. I mean, within three months, she was engaged to the man she said she wanted to be engaged with. But that goes ahead of herself. I want to talk about real quick her experience getting onto the show. So she submitted an application. OG fans of the pod know that I one time submitted an application (laughs) to The Bachelor and I go, it was application one, and then it was application two, and then it was a video, and that's where I got stopped. Uh, me and Ashley submitted a video that they did not like, I guess. Glad you didn't. I'm glad we're coming up this way <laughs> instead of as a Bachelor podcast, because I do think that the people from that fandom would um, hate, us. hate us. That's very true. Okay, anyway. You would have been the villain. I would have been the villain. I would have never recovered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... For me, I got axed. For Courtney, when you're beautiful, she, like, sent in a picture, and they were like, please do it. Just come. She, like, lived next door to the production company, basically, and they were like, just come in. We'll buy you pizza, anything. And she's like, okay. And then she, went, she kept going back and forth, and literally until the day they started filming, she was like, okay. And they were so desperate to have her that they let her do that. There's probably 30,000 women in the country desperate for her spot, and she, like, was hot enough to be like, yeah, no, yeah, no. So she gets on the show and something I want to say that I think is ironic is she gets called fake a lot by the other women, but she's the only honest one. I do want to talk about, so when she gets into The Bachelor, they do like this three day, they're all in a hotel. They're not allowed to see each other. She's not allowed to like look at the TV, read any books. And they bring in a psychologist to like review her. And then the producers come in and then they're whisked away. In the book she writes, that she was actually the last one out of the limos, right? Yeah. And she okay, was sure, very happy with that because um, she, like, knows from modeling calls, you really forget the middle. Like, you have to be first or last. If you're not first, you're last, but you could also be first or last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's interesting because they edit it. Her ultimate competitor, Lindsay, who comes in second, ride it, rode it in a horse, and they edit it to make the horse look last. And she's like, no, the horse had to go first because the horse had a bedtime. horse. Yeah, the horse can only be on set. It has a better union than children. (laughs) But Um, um, I think what you just said speaks a lot to what got her in so much trouble is that she went into this competition knowing what it was, a competition, mm -hmm. and that she treated it like a casting call. And she talks about in her episode that she had been used to being in rooms full of beautiful women and having to look unintimidated. And I think the other women treat it very sorority house style where they're like, you know that you have to pretend to be friends with everybody to beat them, that you have to like keep your enemies close. And I do think that that's why there was friction because you don't go into a casting call being like, I have to befriend the girl next to me. Right. You go into a sorority knowing that. And so she walks in. I also think it's interesting that the producers put her last because they knew that she was the most beautiful, that she really couldn't be topped. Right. I also, so again, she like got a lot of flack from the other girls because they all felt that she was very fake. She says in her book, I also thought about the 24 other women and how I hoped to make at least one or two new lifelong friends. Yeah, she wasn't trying to go in and make the whole house her best friend, but she was not there to like fuck with people. Like she wasn't, yeah. but she also wasn't there to like placate people. Yeah, and I think the thing is she like went in and she says she was nice to everybody at the, front, at the beginning and they all kind of like read it as fake and they were really mm-hmm. mean to her. And they pretty quickly ostracized her. And something else that she says that I think is so interesting is how busy you are, that the producers are constantly pulling you to the side and having you give interviews. And that she was like, if you weren't roommates with somebody, you would go days without seeing them. Because if you were on like opposite schedules and they were out on a date all day and then you had a date the next day and then the third day, you were doing mm-hmm. interviews the whole time, that... 
there wasn't a lot of overlap. Yeah, and she says that there was time that, like, they were, like, a lot of girls would just, like, hang in the kitchen or by the pool with each other. But, like, that was also their time to, like, nap or have time to themselves. And when you're in this weird situation, like, she would take time for herself. And that really rubbed a lot of girls the wrong way. Um, But also, so, like, I think that that's the thing is she did hope to make friends in a way where she, like, hoped there would be people who were similar to her who would make good friends. And what she found was a bunch of, like, random, like, school teachers from Missouri who didn't have anything in common with her. And yeah, she'd been living as a model in L.A. She did have yeah. just, like, different interests. And she did make a good friend. She made one of the best friends I've seen. Yeah. What is that girl's name? Oh, Casey. Casey, Casey S. did such a beautiful job defending her to this other bully. Um, and that's the thing is these other girls decided not only did they not like Courtney, but they also decided, like, that Ben couldn't like Courtney and that everyone had to know. And so I think that she was getting, like, not necessarily – picked on but like singled out a lot mm-hmm. and I think the thing is they kept calling her fake and the the irony is they kept going to Ben and being like you don't know how she really is and then Ben would be like are you not getting along with the other girls in the house and she'd be like yeah but I don't want like they're not the people I'd be friends with they're like not my friends and she's the only honest one she's like yeah. being like yeah I'm not that interested in being friends with them and she says it to Ben she's like I'm not that interested in being friends with those girls and those girls are like you don't understand she's not our friend and then Courtney was like, and meanwhile, they're all ripping each other apart behind each other's backs. She was the only honest one. She says mm-hmm. in this book, she says as a child, she always got along better with guys than girls. Yeah. I don't know. She like never pretended to be someone she wasn't. And it was their own insecurities that they were so obsessed with making her want to be friends with them. And that, I think like, that moment with Casey really shows how unfake Courtney was. The way this girl, Emily, like tries to go to Casey and be like, nobody likes her. And Casey was like, well, I like her. And and Emily was like, she's not nice to anybody. And Emily and Casey was like, well, she is nice to me. Um, and she's like, all she does is like talk shit. And she's like, well, that's you just haven't tried to have a conversation with her about anything else. And like just like <laughs> watching her like defend her in every way. I was like, oh, she's n- clearly not being fake because like why the fuck else would anyone go to bat for anyone else on the show the way that this girl is like being attacked for being her friend, you know? And something Courtney says is like the way it's edited. So there's this really funny moment when they're about to go to Puerto Rico. It's after a rose ceremony. And Ben's like, we're all going to Puerto Rico. And the girls cheer and say, yay. And then it kind of goes silent. And Courtney goes, I was there two and a half months ago. <laughs> and then they're all silent and look at each other. And we, I like saw it and like burst out laughing. I was like, oh my God, why would she say that? And then in her book, she goes, yeah, in reality, we were all excited. And then Ben goes, has anyone ever been to Puerto Rico before? And she's like, yeah, I was there actually there two and a half months ago. And then they, were all, they all continue to have a conversation. And she's like, but then they edit it. It makes it seem like I was just being a bitch out of nowhere. And so you do see how... They really only showed one side. She said there was a lot of mean things that were said about her and the other girls that they obviously chose not to show. Obviously, we're all saying mean things about each other. And I will say the thing that I think made Courtney an easy target for the editors is that there were things that, like, Courtney thought were jokes that were mean things to say. (laughs) That, like, I mean, if you just show them, like, it doesn't take a genius to be like, this girl's talking shit. And then if you don't show anyone else being that mean it really does seem like she's the worst person there, you know? Yeah, and I do think because she, I mean, aesthetically, she did stand out as, she has, like, her dark hair, and she's a model, and the other girls are also, like, cloyingly, like, we love each other, and, of course, then talking shit about each other behind their backs, that it was easy to be, like, she is literally sitting by herself on the couch or whatever. It's easy to single her out. And also, she she says that I think comes up a lot is when people ask, oh, is reality TV scripted? And what I've learned from my extensive obsession with reality TV is it's not scripted, but it is produced. Right. So when Courtney is giving these sound bites that seem mean and like she's picking on the girls, what it really is is she's alone with these people that she thinks are her friends that keep laughing when she makes jokes about the other girls that are like, oh yeah, everyone feels that way. They're talking shit about the contestants. And so she is speaking in kind with the people around her who are giving her positive feedback and then taking that audio clip, stripping the laughter, and making it seem like she is the only person who's being a bitch. Right. 
Right. And yeah, and I will say another thing that's not edited is that she is just like undeniably the most beautiful girl there. Like in every scene where they're not on a date and everyone's just like kind of chilling around the house, like every girl gets up and does like full hair and makeup every day. And Courtney would be wearing just like a pool cover up and like nothing and (laughs) just like blow all of them out of the water. Like she is so much prettier than the other girls on that show that I like see why they were so mad. (laughs) And I do think that. I mean, even on the Zoom. She went in to win and Mm -hmm. she didn't play that game that the other girls play of being like, this isn't a competition. So she would go in and on group dates, like make an effort to get him by himself and like be like, I'm going to get some alone time. And then the girls would look at her like that was some like psycho vixen move. But she says, she's like, they just didn't try that hard. Like I wanted to date this guy. So I like put in effort to date him. It was a competition. And it's weird that these girls are like, like one girl goes home and she's like, oh great, one less girl. And they're like, why would you say that? And it's like, well, I don't know. Do you want to be a sister wife forever? Like it is bizarre to be in this competition and never acknowledge that you are competing. Yeah, like the other girls are like so bizarre about acting like it's not the goal to eventually be the last girl standing. And Courtney was very upfront about the fact that the more people that go home, the less competition there is. And they all acted like she was a psycho for feeling that way. And she does say that's a quote that I really liked is the reality is most of the other girls just didn't try hard enough because they didn't they all went at it like these are the rules that we must follow and it's like no you're on a weird dating show where you are vying for the heart of a man that 24 other girls also are pretending to love and you have to win you have to show him that you're the best like I do think that that's a theory that I had on the show when we were watching the show Um, is the reason that The Bachelorette is a lot more successful of a show. A lot more of those couples have stayed together um, as compared to The Bachelor is because in order to win The Bachelor, you have to be the kind of girl that can really get out there and make yourself front and center, be, you know, um, what's it called? Kind of aggressive with kind of throwing yourself at this guy. Whereas a lot of the guys that go on the show are very traditional and weird and like puritanical and stupid. And so at the end of the day, they do want this like pure little housewife who's going to be there for them and be soft and quiet, but that's not the girl who's going to win the show. So they pick the wrong girl every single time because they don't pick who would actually be the right wife for them. They pick who their like dick is dragging them to, you know? Yeah. Amen. So should we get one last little fun detail about her time on The Bachelor? Nobody pooped. (laughs) You know me and Ashley don't love a love a dirty joke, but it is funny that apparently like that makes so much sense. They were traveling every three days. They're sharing a bathroom with 24 girls. They're in this insane heightened stress situation. They're they're flying nonstop. Nobody could poop. Also, so she wins. And when they she gets to the fantasy suite, uh, she says they don't leave any condoms, which I think is pretty gross. I do think that that is actually unsafe, that they're, like, expecting you to bone. And they're like, but also, hope your pullout game is tight, baby. Um, also, what I was going to say is I actually do. So going post-show, Courtney wins. Ta-da. <laughs> And I do think that she really thought that she liked Ben a lot. Like, I do think, do you know I what I mean? I think she did like Ben a lot. I think Ben didn't like her. I think Ben didn't like anyone. I think he's just like such a weird dude. Like I said, these guys have this like weird puritanical view of like wanting some weird housewife. Like he really wanted a sidekick who was cultured like him new wine new art but wasn't gonna I do speak think ben yeah the, i think ben's whole thing about being above reality tv and not like a normal reality tv guy is that then he could actually never have loved somebody he met on reality tv because i do think the kind of girl he sees himself with would never be on reality tv but he also was like deeply attracted and into courtney but i but then i mean so what happened is first of all he's a dick right out the gate Let's talk about their honeymoon. So they propose. They're in Switzerland. They're allowed to have a few days at a chalet. And apparently, he has them meet up for dinner, like their first dinner alone as an engaged couple with a PA on set and her boyfriend. And then apparently, they have every meal for the next four days. They're in Switzerland before they're separated for three months um, while the show premieres. 
with this couple. And this girl, apparently he flirts with nonstop and he says that she has the best body and boobs ever. And this it becomes a pattern for Ben that he constantly is like pointing out other girls' boobs. Which is insane. And he's, that's uh, the other thing that becomes a pattern is that they never really ever spend time alone. Like Ben loves to be surrounded by people. He loves to be on double dates, triple dates. He loves to invite his friends out. He, at the time, at the time that he went on this show, he, a, I think 29 year old man, lived with two roommates in San Francisco, which like it is a really expensive city. So I get that. But one of the roommates like lived on a mattress in the living room. I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) I would be so fucking mad if I met this like handsome winemaker on a reality show. And then I found out that his like buddy lived in his living room. (laughs) Yeah. And so what happens after she leaves is that the show starts airing and the amount of hate she gets kind of is unimaginable. I mean, she is literally on the cover of every magazine and they're calling her just like an evil slut. Like the world's worst villain. They're saying she seduced him. And I mean, of course, what happened at the end of the day is he picked the girl he was most attracted to. Yeah. He picked her. <laughs> and the edit did not pick her. They were They really did not do... I feel like a lot of times The Bachelor is pretty soft to the winner because they want them to like be happy. And now that I think about it, it might be because of this season. Like the way that people went after her, I pulled some of the comments that she uh, felt very impacted by. Someone called her a flaming bag of cunt. Um, Someone. So like we said, there was one part where she pulled Ben aside and they went skinny dipping in the ocean. And it was like very romantic and sexy kind of because she wanted someone who was spontaneous and sexy. Um, And obviously people were very upset. But again, she was playing the game. She was trying to be make time for the two of them um, and be memorable and to go into an ocean naked with someone, they'll remember. Um, So based on that situation, someone called her topless, bottomless, and classless. Um, Past contestants, so past bachelors, we're going for her throat. And that is uncommon. I feel like for the most part, she says it's an unspoken rule within the bachelor community that you don't really talk mad shit on other people from the show because you've been there. You all know what it's like. There's no reason to like hurt someone's feelings. And Trista Stutter, Sutter or whatever, who was the first bachelorette really just like went for the jugular. She was just saying the meanest, most horrible things on Twitter the entire season. Other people, I think Brad Womack was saying mean things about her. Like why? (laughs) I don't know. They were so mad. They were like, and so what happened is as things were coming out against her, first of all, she was finding out in isolation that he is a dick. He's the kind of guy who we have this here, right? That like criticized me for putting an entire portobello mushroom on top of my steak without slicing it first. He said I was mad. I ruined his plating. He um, he was the kind of guy who's, guy who's always telling her she needed to be more dynamic. And when asked what she was up to, she'd be like, oh, I'd go to the gym, get my nails done, blah, blah, blah. Because she's a model and that's her job. And he'd be like why don't you try going to a museum or reading a book? Like he was really into putting her down. He was so mean about her voice. He kept saying, stop with the baby voice. I hate the baby voice, blah, blah, blah. Which is like, that's just how she speaks. She just has a quiet voice. very like Ariana Grande-esque. And then of course it comes up when the show starts airing, she starts getting all this hate. And instead and it's of affecting her career, that's the other thing too, is all yes. this hate because she is a model. And at this time, like before she was just like a pretty girl to, like that you could put on the the box of L'Oreal or whatever. Now it's a spokesperson because people yeah. know this face very well. And so she was losing gigs because of the negative press. And so all, and but she thinks she has her fiance and he starts pulling away and he is not supportive of her. His all. mom is a dick to her. Like everybody is like, how could you do this to Ben? I mean, at one point they take a break and he doesn't talk to her for two weeks. During Valentine's Day, and he didn't send flowers, he didn't send chocolate, all he sent was a text that said, happy V-Day, it's a really awkward day for me right now, and I'm not sure how to approach it with you, just wanted to say hi. And so he is like, I don't know what to think, he's acting like he had the wool pulled over his eyes, like he didn't know who he was with. She's just trying to be with him. He says publicly that they were engaged dating when she thought they were engaged, engaged, And then on top of that, there's all these pictures of him cheating on her. Yeah. So during the two weeks that they weren't speaking, he was photographed with like three different women. Um, 
And he like called her to be like, oh, just so you know, this girl slept in my bed, but like we didn't, I didn't cheat on you. And it's like, shut the fuck up. That's the most insane thing. That's the most insulting thing you could have said. Um, but yeah, so he is really just like being horrible. And I felt like she handled this quite well. There's one part. Um, so they do get back together and they're like re-engaged on the after the final rose special. And there's this one part where she's talking to Ben's pretentious mom and the mom mentions like, you know, the trouble that they'd gone through and like how she handled it. And she says to Ben's mom, I think when you love someone unconditionally, you do anything for them. And I think he was very weak. And I was like, he yes, was. bitch, get him. <laughs> he was. And then, I don't know, it was just like. And on after got- the final rose, she does tell, you know, the whole world that like this has been horrible for her and he was not by her side. Like she throws also, him under the I bus say, with good reason. Before the final rose, there's a tell-all. And she. this is the first time in Bachelor history that they had one of the final two girls on the tell-all because normally they kept them hidden to like heighten the the unknowns, but they were like, you can come back to defend yourself. And I want to say the way the women treated her on the tell or the, yeah, the women tell all was they came at her for the juggler trying to make her cry. I mean, yeah, that was literally their goal and they succeeded. And that's the other thing is she talks quite a lot about how part of her negative perception is because she never wanted to cry. Like she never wanted to appear like overly vulnerable on this show. She like really made it her goal to not, cry on camera to not seem like some sad bitch crying on TV over some guy she'd only known for five minutes. And I think that that sort of like hardened exterior is what contributed to these other girls not liking her because they didn't like that she like refused to like be vulnerable for the sake of being vulnerable. Um, She talks about it on in the book that she would like cry in the shower just so she could like get her feelings out off camera. Um, And it made me very sad. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I wouldn't want to go on camera. We see those girls today who get kicked out night one and they're like, when will I be good enough for someone? And they're 21 years old. They're like, when is it my turn to have love? And it's like, I don't know, bitch. Can you run a car yet? (laughs) Give it some time. Maybe the car rental guy will be the one you fall in love with. um, Ultimately, after trying as hard as they can, he never comes to visit her. She's always going to visit him. They're fighting constantly. He's also hurting her career. She had the opportunity to go on Dancing with the Stars. It would have been $125,000 plus 50K for every week she showed up. And he told her she wasn't allowed to. Yeah. I mean, he was like meanwhile, very some, controlling Something that was crazy is that he was so cheap, which I thought was insane. He would do things like they would have huge parties for his friends, invite all of his friends out to dinner with them, and then expect her to split it with them. He like offered to get her mom a hotel room one time for Mother's Day and then made Courtney pay for it. Courtney had to pay for her own tickets up to his house. And he would say things like, I thought I was dating or marrying like a successful model. And she's like, well, I could be if you'd let me work. But now I've lost all my job because of you and any other job opportunity I could have had. You have told me I'm not allowed to do. He was really into getting a reality TV after this about his vineyard. She wouldn't do it. That's how you know she wasn't in it for the fame because she didn't want to be on the reality TV show. And then also he would say to her, like, you're an idiot for not knowing I just came on here to promote my wine brand. Like, he fully was just on there for the promotion. Yeah. I mean, he really seemed – so she's told us that they've since sort of, like, healed things up. But, like, me and him haven't been phonic. Like, I'm still really mad at you for the way that you treated her. It is upsetting to read it. Like, he was so, so snobby and horrible and just, like, condescending and shitty, and I hated it. So then um, after trying for over a year, uh, things, they just like decide it's not going to work. And at first they want to kind of keep it amicable in the press. And then, you know, she likes, she has, you know, her fallback guys and she'd met Ari Lyondike, who later became The Bachelor. Who apparently is a very good lover and kisser. Like she's like, he is really good in bed. <laughs> Interesting. That is so not I'm what like- I expected. I guess that's how they have, you know, a second one on the way. Appeal to someone, yeah. He had to appeal to somebody, I guess. He had to have some something that he was good at. Um. So anyway, so she goes home in Scottsdale to sort of hide from the storm, and he lives in Scottsdale. So she hangs out with him. They meet up. Like she'd kind of had a crush on him from watching him on the show as well, and they get together. It becomes public information. 
And all bets are off. They are like shooting fucking grenades at each other in the press. Um, he sends her this message um, about when it becomes public that she'd gone on a couple dates with Ari. She said, he said, our united front is out the fucking window. Have a nice ride on your own. Ta-ta. The fact <laughs> that he said ta-ta like should have been the yeah. thing. But my God. So they like had a really public um, breakup, a really major battle. It further fucked her career because now it's messy. Like now it's very, you know, they thought they could like get out quietly and now she's like back again with negative press. And um, and then, you know, the thing with Ari lasted like two seconds because it turns out he was dating like 30 other girls at the same time, not on The Bachelor, just in life. Um, and uh-huh. I think that, I mean, talking to her, so you'll hear from her next week. She sounds, I mean, she's like married and has a child now, so like she's in a great place. But it sounds like it was like very hard to move on from all of this. Like it really like shredded everything about her life for quite a while. And like, she thought she was going to come out with like a husband to stand by her. And like, instead she got someone who just like further wrecked shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of heartbreaking. It was interesting to see a sneak peek behind the curtain. It's interesting to hear that somebody would be there for love. And it's, yeah. it was not surprising to hear that both parties were not It was interesting that she actually was there for love and, like, so, so vilified for other reasons. I was like, wow, she, like, kind of was there for the right reasons. Like, maybe not to make friends, but she, like, wanted a husband. (laughs) So, you guys, I'm so excited next week we to, like, talk to Courtney and then Dibs, Courtney's co-author. It's so exciting. Dibs has actually a gossip magazine background, so it's really interesting to hear about... uh, like and the two sides of the story. The person whose life got ruined and the person who was doing the ruining. And Dibs was working at Gossip Magazines at the time that Courtney's face was on the cover of them. I mean, Dibs was editing them, putting Courtney's face on the cover. So that is something we'll talk about. Um, I'm so excited. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Next time on The Bachelor. <laughs> the most exciting episode of all time. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>